0: Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would indeed set us free and that this day we might see uh, your Son, Jesus, high and lifted up. And the sign that we look at this morning, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see him in his glory and in the power of his name. We pray it in his name. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if this ever happens to you all but for me this past week while I was praying, preparing, reading, looking a lot of stuff, I I had this reoccurring uh, name keep coming up. It, uh, everywhere I sort of looked I saw references to a a gentleman named Dr. John Bechtel. I I don't know that any of you all have maybe heard him. I had not heard of him. I don't know anything about him but his name kept coming up, so I thought, well, I wonder what, what's up with this guy, so I began to investigate a bit further, and I discovered that he's the son of missionaries who served in China for 51 years. He was actually raised in China, so he speaks Cantonese uh, pretty fluently, and he himself was called to serve Christ among the Chinese people. Now, it might not surprise you when I read about someone working among the Chinese people, it Gets my attention and so I uh, began to read a lot more about him and do a bit more research on him and I actually uh, you know if you've ever had one of those rabbit trails I spent a lot of time with this guy and reading him and hearing him talk and and seeing about him and it it turns out that he has what I will describe as a a powerful story that changed his life and that of millions of young Chinese people in the city of Hong Kong. It is a lengthy story, and as I said, I dwelt on it quite a bit, so I could probably go a lot longer than you want me to this morning. But I I wanted to sort of get you a flavor of of his life and his ministry. If you want to look it up on the Internet, you can find a lot of the more details as well. But it was in the late 1960s that he felt called to offer a, a way to reach the thousands of people who were coming from mainland China over to Hong Kong with children, with youth. And what he decided was he wanted to develop a camp. He thought a camp would be a very powerful way for children and youth to come and hear the gospel. And so as he tells the story, he he found a place, he found an island that was um, out uh, off the coast and that somebody more or less was offered to him. He said, but they did have one requirement that they would have to build a dock to get to this island. And he said, well, okay, what, what, would, what does this dock cost? costs $40,000. He said, well, that's a lot of money. But So he sent back word to America, to all of friends and family and people who uh, had supported them and sponsored them, to raise the funds to build the dock. And lo and behold, he only raised a very small amount of money, nowhere near the needed money. And so that didn't work out. So he went along and there was someone else offered a a, a beachfront property that he could have and all they would have to do is to to prove that you really were going to do it. The owner said, you'll need to build the first uh, sort of building and and that would cost $40,000. So he got a a tiny bit discouraged um, even though he had thought at first, well, no problem, we can raise it but sure enough that he couldn't. Well, then he heard and learned word that there was an orphanage that was not being properly run. And the people who run or, the ran these orphanages were concerned, and so he investigated, and sure enough, what was going on at this orphanage was, it wasn't an orphanage at all. Families were there and taking advantage of the generosity and that sort of, and so it was going to be shut down and closed. And so the owners were willing to sell him the orphanage for his ministry for? two hundred and forty thousand dollars. Well now you can imagine he's pretty discouraged at this point and wondering how in the world this is all going to work out and it turns out that a very wealthy man came with Billy Graham for a crusade in Hong Kong and Dr. Beck took him around to see various things including the property, this uh, orphanage it had everything that would work perfectly. It had all kinds of buildings, had all kinds of uh, activities. It was a, a perfect place for them. They got excited about the possibility, and, and the wealthy man said that he would return from the United to the United States and raise the money in three months. Now, you have to just watch Dr. Beckel tell the story because he says the first month came, the second month came, the third month came, and he received no word until finally he got a letter from this gentleman. Now, Bechtel's first name, of course, is John, and when he tells this story, he points out that the letter began, Dear John. He says, you know where this is going when a letter begins, Dear John. And sure enough, this wealthy man said he was unable to do anything close to raising the money that it would not be possible for them to purchase it But he did say, there is this one note that that we received, and he said, make sure you read this little note. Sure enough, the note was from a 14-year-old girl who said she was giving her whole week's money of selling ice cream, which again, this is in the 60s, she had raised $1, and she says in this letter, use this money to buy your camp. So Dr. Bechtel takes that letter and the money, goes to the owner's representatives and said, I have the money for you for the property. They said, where's the check? He says, no, no, it's here. I have it right on me. You brought that much cash in your pockets? He said, no, no, no. I have this one dollar and this letter. I guess you probably know where this is going. Shortly thereafter, the owner said they would sell it to him for the dollar. And so they did. Now, at first, I heard the story, I thought, oh, this is one of those great, you know, come on, that's, you know, read it in the, in, the, in the little flyer magazine, you know. So I did a whole lot of research, and this is actually totally true. He got it for one dollar. One dollar. Since that time, over 1.7 million young Chinese have experienced the camp program with an evangelistic emphasis. One 14-year-old girl giving what little she had, and look what God had done with it. Look what's happened. We continue our series this morning on the seven signs in John's gospel. With a similar, I suspect, uh, and very familiar story of the feeding of the 5,000. Other than the resurrection, this is the only story told in all four gospels. You can sense the power and the significance of this one sign that John is included in his for us to see this morning, for, for the story and the unfolding gospel. And as we said, Jesus calls these miracles, John calls these miracles signs and he has a purpose for including them in his gospel. We're in chapter six of the gospel of John and he begins This by telling us, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is just a little footnote here, as it were, for your own sort of biblical study times. When you come across a a line in the gospel or in the scriptures that says, after this, my encouragement is to go find out after what? What what is John talking about when he says after this? why, Why does he highlight this after this? Well he goes on to say a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. As we know right before this are these two miraculous healings that Jesus had accomplished and now he's moving across the sea perhaps to get some time away, some quiet but all the people have seen the sign. They've seen the healings. So they're intrigued they're interested they're they're wanting to follow and they're so they're following but john john tells us that though they're following they're following the signs they're drawn by by these signs but yet as we'll see in this story they're not yet aligned with the purpose that john is sharing them they're still focusing on the sign they're seeing the sign and they want more of the signs it's a risk that we all have is that we get drawn by the sign and we miss what it's pointing to. We miss the significance of it. Jesus uses these miracles as signs which he's doing to point people to himself, to see who he is and to know him. Jesus wants them and us to live in our lives and to partake of his life, to be fully engaged in a relationship with him. He's not simply some miracle worker doing all these po- ma- magic tricks that everybody will point to the magic tricks and, and the mystery of them. What he wants is them to see him and to come into a relationship with him who provides for all they need. And so there's this large crowd that's, that's following Jesus. They're all there looking at this sign and, and John tells us that the setting for this sign is the Passover. Now what we're trying to see, which I hope you'll see this morning, is that, that John's intentional and that Jesus's acts all point towards drawing men to himself. And so he uses where he is, what he does, and how he says it for a purpose. It's not just a random sort of occurrence. And so the setting for the feeding of the 5,000 is at the feast of the Passover. Passover, when the Jews would remember God delivering them from slavery in Egypt. And what was one of the the prominent characteristics of their freedom from slavery when they wandered in the wilderness, but manna, but bread. In the wilderness for them, he provided the bread that they needed. And so now John is using this story to remind them and to remind us of how God works in the lives of his people. And he's including this detail as a part of the sign because he wants to point to Jesus and have them see, wait, wait, this is like Moses. And to get the thought that, wait a minute, is God's doing a work here. Moses set us free from a bondage and slavery. Is that what's going on here? Is this a similar action that's taking place? Is Jesus is here to set us free again? He's pointing to something beyond himself that they're familiar with. So in a a little bit of a sense, it's it's kind of looking back. But nonetheless, they are recognizing and seeing what Jesus is doing by the pointing of his sign. And he's here again to to provide them with bread. And remember, they they realized that that bread only lasted for the day. It only lasted a while. It It wasn't the ongoing thing that strengthened them so they're pointing to jesus as the bread of life to how they're going to live their life once they're set free it's saying to them as clear as a bell what jesus is here to do if they'll open their eyes and see the sign pointing to him and in this large crowd of course there was this one young boy he along with this large crowd has followed jesus and his disciples up up to the side of a mountain the disciples are are seated and Jesus comes to Philip. He says, well, where are we going to buy enough bread so that all these people can eat? Again, he's trying to teach the disciples and us what this sign is pointing to. He says, Philip says, in thinking in human terms, he says, he, he says there any well, let's see, there's this many people and there'd be this much cost to go buy bread and, and there's really no close-by shop around here. We'd have to go a long way no way can we meet this need sort of a a side note for us this morning because it is in all four gospels in the other accounts uh, they're recorded where the disciples encourage jesus uh, just send them home just (laughs) we can't do that i mean it's just uh, hopeless there's no way we can meet this need Do, do you see where he's going do you see what he's saying it's hopeless to meet your needs there's no there's no way the cost is so great there's no way to meet the needs that we see pointing to jesus who can and does meet the need andrew one of the other disciples like philip finds what he believes is another human option you know you're looking around like well okay what can we do how can we do it he's not going to send them away he's have i sitting down so clearly that's not what's going to happen but even He admits that it's woefully inadequate. He says, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and and two fish, but what are they for so many? What are they for so many? Now, it'll be good for us to pause for a second and just reflect on what this sign is sort of revealing to us this morning. Let me flag it for you here. Do Do you recall... How back a couple of weeks ago we looked at the first sign. It was at a wedding in Cana, right? And how they ran out of wine and they didn't have wine. And there was a, there was a crisis, there was a problem. We, we don't have any wine. And they went and sure enough there were empty jars. Do you see how we're going here? Empty, unable to meet a need. No bread. Five small barley loaves, two small fish. No way to meet the need. Jesus is pointing to the human condition of our desperate, desperate need. It's it's kind of interesting to see how it all sort of, he makes this hyperbole of sorts and I was reminded as we're singing the hymn of praise how it just really, we sang it already. How great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain that I could not climb. We're finding the disciples and the peoples with Jesus in a desperate, desperate point, recognizing that they cannot help themselves. And brothers and sisters, that's where we are this morning. We cannot solve our problem. Philip and Andrew wrestle with the challenge. No way can we afford food for all these people. Poor boy with Five barley loaves and, and two little fish. They're described as small fish. Some have referred to them as sardines. Two sardines, five small little barley loaves, which of course barley represents a, uh, this, it's a poor family because all they could use was barley. And there were 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. Most scholars think it's between fifteen and 20,000 people. Do you see the huge you know hyperbole that that John's trying to highlight for us that Jesus was saying here we are no wine empty jars no bread five little tiny loaves two small fish we know the overwhelming abundance that's going to come Such, such a contrast is being made between what we have and what he'll give Can't you see why John is using this story in his gospel? He wants you to know how helpless a situation this is. How hopeless we are. How desperately we need Jesus. And so John points us directly at him. Totally at him. And Jesus, of course, in the story, has the people sit down. He takes those five loaves and those two fish. He gives thanks And he distributes them, passes them out. And then when they'd eaten their fill, not just a little bit, when they'd eaten their fill, he told his disciples to gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Nothing may be lost. I I stop on that line every time I read this story, that nothing may be lost. I know it's about the fragments that are being picked up. But I wonder if John is trying to say, look, everyone, nothing will be lost. Jesus cares about every single person, all of them, everyone, to get their fill, to be overwhelmed, to be so satisfied with him that none will be lost. And don't don't lose sight of the fact here that it's the disciples who get the fragment pieces, who, who are called to get that none would be lost. It's a commission, if you will, for these disciples, for you and me, that when we've had our fill, when we know the love of Jesus in our lives, we take and go out and collect the fragments so that all will be filled and all will come, that none will be lost. They did and filled up t- 12 baskets. Charles Talbot in his commentary, highlights two things about this. He says, first, it is the disciples who make the people sit down, Jesus tells them, have the people sit down secondly it's the disciples who gather up the leftovers he says they cannot provide for the people themselves you see they understand the problem that we have jesus has to be the one who provides for their and for our needs but we play a part jesus includes us in helping feed his people and to look for those who are lost so that none would be lost what a reminder for us this morning jesus performs the miracle but he uses us as part of it and even more so jesus uses this young boy in his and his lunch we might say five barley loaves and two small fish now you know jesus could have done it without the little boy right so again he's pointing to some truth here by using this young boy because he could have just had like the manna it just came no it, it didn't it just appeared But no, here in the story, Jesus uses the small boy because he wants us to see a truth this morning. They would have remembered the manna, and so they would have seen what this contrast. He's using the small boy, using the food that he had. You see, God takes the very little that the boy had, and please don't forget, it was all he had. It was all he had and he blesses it so that when we offer what we have to God, he multiplies it. He wants us to see a truth that, that when we offer what we have, little as it might be, for his blessing for his, and give thanks to him, he multiplies it. Maybe you don't think you have much. Maybe you think you don't have much to offer. Maybe you think it's just five barley loaves and two little fish and what good would that be for the kingdom? Or maybe you think of yourself, how, what, what do I have? I, I can't speak, you remember, this isn't a new problem that they would have remembered either, right? I can't speak, I can't talk, how will I do that? When we offer our lives to God, He'll multiply them. He'll multiply it. Pastor Michael Youssef, he's the rector of the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, says, he says, we make a mistake saying, I will do something great when God blesses me. You see, he says we have it sort of backwards. We do it backwards. When God blesses me, well, then I'll really get out there and do something for God. Whereas what we see this morning is, I offer what little I have, and God blesses me. He says, for example, he says, don't we do that with our giving? He says, when I win the lottery, then I'll tithe. When I win the lottery, I'll, I'll give lots of money to this project. Scripture says when we're faithful with a little, we'll be faithful with much. You see, how much we have doesn't matter to God. What he cares about is the condition of our heart. Are we offering what we have to his glory? Jesus ha- takes what this young boy gives, his five loaves, is two fish, and he feeds all those people, fifteen to 20,000 people, to their fill. Again, let's go back. The water jug's filled to the brim, John tells us. To the brim they're filled. Now, all these people, fifteen to 20,000 are filled, have their complete fill, and yet, leftovers to fill 12 baskets full. Can you see how Jesus is pointing to something far more significant than their stomachs? The disciples learned firsthand that God is greater than the needs of 15,000 people and he wants to use them to spread his kingdom so they can trust him daily for their needs. It's the same sign that he's showing to you and me this morning. And they also learned at times the Lord will set a seemingly impossible task before us to see if we'll respond in faith or in fear because, you see, he wants to train us in discipleship. To look beyond what we can see and what we can do and to not look at how little or how much we have, rather how much he can do with what we give, what what he can do with what we offer of our own lives, especially that he'll use through us. Now when the crowd sees the sign, of course, they they do connect the dots as far as this seeing Jesus as Moses, the, the second Moses. And now, unfortunately, they see it again in their most self-interest because they want to go and take him and make him king. Verse 15, the the next verse following after the the sign, they they try to come to Jesus to take him, and so he has to leave, and he goes back to the other side. Because you see, they were following because of the bread. They were were looking at the sign, not what it was pointing to. You'll see later in chapter 6, Jesus does leave them, he crosses back to the other side, and and they ask him, well, Rabbi, when did you come back? And he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They witnessed a miracle, but they missed what the sign was pointing to. For the sign does not satisfy, it does not last. The sign points to Jesus, the bread of life that will sustain our lives. The signs are not about what we can get. They're about who we can know. To this one scholar says, now, now for a hard question, he asks, and in what ways are we like the sign-seeking crowd? Why do we follow Jesus, he asks. You see, Jesus feeds the crowd, but the sign really points to his life, which he gave for us. The bread that will only satisfy temporarily is what they were eating. He wants to offer so much more to offer himself. So you see, we have a a story of of our next sign where where it relates and reminds us of of an earlier one, where where we come with empty stone water jars, with empty stomachs. Come away with gallons and gallons of wine and 12 baskets left over. Both pointing to Jesus and to the abundant life that he invites you to live. So let me ask you this morning, how, how has this sign spoken to you this morning about how you're following Jesus? Are you following the sign or are you following him? And if you're following him, are you offering all that you have for him to bless and to use for his glory and for his kingdom? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this powerful sign pointing to the gift of your son Jesus in our lives. Open our eyes to see him and to offer all that we have our lives to his glory. That he might bless us and that he might use us to spread his kingdom. That we might draw others to know, to love, and to serve him. And I ask it in his precious name. Amen.